The Gospel of our Lord from the book of Matthew says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ. And to proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation. That we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works. Who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Amen. If you'll notice in your bulletin the title of the sermon this morning is the question how high. And you've probably heard this heard the saying, when I say jump, you ask how high. That's a, a, uh, a reference to the type of authority that one person would have over another, uh, whether it be the authority of a teacher to a student or whether it be the authority of a, uh, of a God to his creation. When Jesus enters into the picture we encounter one with authority. In fact, one of the things that is, that is, is, is perplexing and amazing, astonishing, as the gospel writers, uh, writers call it, or marvelous uh, about Jesus' teaching, is that he taught as one having authority. And here we've got a couple of, of, uh, of stories, of snapshots, of vignettes, if you will, of Jesus entering into the lives of others and, and using that authority in a way that would forever change their lives. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that Jesus began going throughout the region of Galilee, preaching and calling others to repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
And to repent is not merely to say I'm sorry, but repentance is about life change. This is about being confronted with who we are and where we're headed and realizing that who we are is not right and where we're headed is not appropriate. And so repentance is about a change of life. And so what we have in these stories and what we have throughout the Gospels is God in the flesh, Jesus, confronting us. Jesus confronts. And we don't always like confrontation. Especially we don't like being those who are being confronted ourselves. Confrontation makes us a little bit uncomfortable. It it makes us uneasy. It makes us squeamish and squirmy. But Jesus confronts. And he confronts us. Here in these stories, he confronts fishermen. He confronts a tax collector. He even then confronts those who are poo-pooing his idea of who he's calling to be his disciples and who he's considering to be his friends and those that he'll spend time in fellowship with. But when Jesus confronts us, whether we like it or not, it's always for our good. He is confronting us so that we might be healed. So that we might be changed because change is needed. When Jesus confronts us, it's always life-giving. We live among people who can, can think of no greater sin than to be judgmental. And while the Gospels do not invite us to be judgmental, the fact is that our lives stand before God in judgment. Who we are, what we have done, the direction we are headed, stands before God Almighty in judgment. And here in these stories, we have not just innocent passers-by who happen to stumble upon Jesus, but instead Jesus walks into their lives and calls them to repentance. Calls them to change what they are doing. Calls them to change where they're going. What we have in these stories and what we encounter in our own lives as God steps before us, as Jesus confronts us, are moments of decision. We find ourselves along a path, along the road of life, and we find divergent trails. In those moments of decision, we can either go this way or that. And whether we go this way or that, not only shapes where we are headed, but it also shapes who, we're, who we are becoming along that road. Jesus, in His authority as the world's Savior and the world's Creator, steps into our lives and He confronts us. But Jesus not only confronts, He also calls. And we don't always like hearing from Jesus. That may not be a a sacred thing to say in in a sanctuary. But the fact is that when we hear the voice of Jesus, sometimes we 
run our fingers through our hair and say, Lord, now what? Great. What now? These fishermen and this tax collector seem to be making it through life fairly well. Sure, Matthew had quite a lot of haters in his life. He was a tax collector. His Hebrew brethren considered him to be a traitor and a sellout. What's worse than working for the government? Collecting taxes for the government. Good grief, right? And here Matthew is one who, not only does he work for the government, it's a pagan government. Not only does he collect taxes for that pagan government, but he himself makes his living off of it. And he's collecting taxes from his very own people who resent the fact that that government is in authority over them politically. So Matthew was not a very well-liked guy. But he was doing fairly well. He was doing his job. He was making a living. The fishermen, there seems to be absolutely nothing wrong with, with them. Seems to seems like they're doing what any good fisherman ought to do. Dad was a fisherman. Dad owns a fisherman's business. I like fishing. I'm pretty good at it. All right, following Daddy's footsteps. Learn how to mend the nets. Learn how to draw in the nets and tear them up with all the big catches we're making. Learn how to use the market to sell those fish, to make a profit, to feed the family. Life seems to be pretty good for these people. But Jesus steps into their lives. He confronts them and He calls them. He calls them to be His disciples. And His calling is a very simple invitation. Follow me. Follow me. These are the words of a rabbi coming before young men telling them, you've got the gift. And you could be my student. Follow me. The scriptures tell us that immediately they drop what they're doing and they say, okay. Because Jesus' invitation is not just to follow him, but that following is dependent upon trusting him. And that following then becomes an act of obedience. The passage that Varese read for us this morning from Genesis chapter 12 reminds us of a man who was living life quite well. He was quite content. He enjoyed being the son of a father living with lots of family and lots of livestock and lots of, lots of perhaps land. But he had property. He had, he had everything he could have needed. And Yahweh comes along and says, I want you to leave it all and follow me. Where are we going? 
you'll see when we get there. Okay, but how long is it going to take? You'll see when you finally get there. Follow me. When Jesus confronts us and calls us, we're faced with two responsibilities. The first responsibility is the responsibility to hear his voice. We must listen. And in the Hebrew mind, there is no listening. There is no hearing without obedience. And so that second responsibility is to not just hear his voice, but to then follow his lead. To listen and obey. And those are responsibilities of ours. Because not everyone is listening to what Jesus has to say. And not everyone is following where Jesus leads them. Sometimes we start out on the right path. We hear Jesus' call upon our lives. And that could be a call to, to, uh, to ministry. That could be a call to uh, obeying Him in some specific way. It could simply be the call to discipleship. Come and, and follow me. But we start out on that path. And we start out hearing His voice and saying, Yes, Lord. And we begin following His lead. And somewhere along the path, we find ourselves wandering off. Or maybe taking a seat. Taking a little bit of a break. One of my first sermons as a, as a, a, a kid, I mean, I was 18, I think. Um, and uh, I'd preached a few times before, but, but um, I was preaching. I, I don't remember the exact subject I was preaching on, but I, but I compared the, uh, the life of discipleship to, a, uh, to an uphill climb. And I, I pointed out that you cannot sit down. If you're climbing uphill, you cannot sit down unless you turn around first. And along the road of discipleship, as Jesus calls us to follow Him, it's not enough simply to hear His voice at some distant time in the past. And it's not enough to simply follow Him a little bit along the way. Because listening to Him and obeying Him are continuing acts. They're acts that are perpetual. They're acts that must be active. They can't be merely couched in the past somewhere nice and convenient. Because Jesus confronts us and He calls us in the present. There were other times in the lives of these disciples where Jesus confronted them and He called them. They were not done with Jesus' meddling in their lives on the day they decided to start following Him. And neither are you and I. There were times in Abram's life where he had to be reprimanded and corrected. Where he had to be, be prodded back onto the path. Because simply leaving the family and starting out on the journey is not enough. If these two responsibilities are ours, to hear His voice and to follow His lead, it would be incumbent upon us to ask a couple of questions about those responsibilities. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow anyone if you've ever followed 
someone to church camp in the caravan. And I've been told I'm a horrible leader when it comes to caravans. I, I see heads nodding and I'm, I'm just going to simply state my disapproval and my disagreement. If you've ever followed anyone, you know that to follow necessarily means that your future is not your own. You don't know what's coming up next. Following by definition means that that my future and where I'm going, what lies ahead is determined by the one I am following. We may or may not pass McDonald's on the way. We may or may not pass the general's house on the way, David. I like going that way through Villarica, just so you know. David, David and Bill both always take a left, and I think, but the general's house is right up there. It's Jan's brother-in-law. I just like seeing it. John, it's a pretty house to see. I always take a look at the yard, see how well it's being kept. It's always gorgeous. And it may waste a couple of minutes, but if I'm following someone, it's not it, that future, whether or not we're going to pass the general's house or whether or not we're going to hang a left and get to the interstate more quickly, a little bit further up the road, but more quickly we'll get there. That future is, is not up to me. It's not, it's not in my hands because as a follower, our future is not our own. Where we're going is not determined by us. But also our pace is not our own. That's probably why I'm typically uh, discouraged at, at being the leader in a caravan because I'll, I'll either be going too fast or I'm putzing too slow or something. You know, I'll think, oh, everybody can get through this light. It just turned yellow. There, there are only six cars. If I can get through, then those other five certainly can get through, right? But our pace is not our own when we're following. You either keep up or you get left. When we'll get there, it's not determined by us. And to follow necessarily also means that our direction is not our own. We cannot determine how we'll get there. When Jesus confronts us and calls us and we hear his voice saying, follow me. He leads and we follow. There doesn't come a point where we can say, okay, so this is where we're headed. Thanks, I'll take it from here. We've got no GPS system in, our, in the human heart where we can say, okay, I know where I'm headed. I, I can get there on my own. That, that's a, a modern pseudo-spiritual phenomenon. It says I don't need any type of organization. I don't need any type of structure. I can figure it all out on my own. It's just me and Jesus. 
apart from actively following Jesus, we don't know the way. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And faith in Jesus means following Him. It does not merely mean mentally believing something about Him, though it involves that. Nor does it mean merely having a feeling toward Him in your heart, though it involves that. But faith in Jesus means following Him. Because He has convinced us that we ought. Because we want to. Because His love has compelled us to follow Him. But being mentally convinced and being affectionately compelled is not what it means to follow Jesus. We must actually get up from our tax booth and follow Him. We must actually lay down our nets, tell our Father goodbye, and begin following Him. In the beginning, again, is just the beginning. We must follow Him every day. But what does it mean to hear His voice? How do we hear His voice? And I cannot stress enough the importance of the spiritual disciplines. Because this is how we follow Jesus. This is how we learn what He's saying to us. This is how we hear from Him. This is what it means to listen to Him. And we typically associate listening to Jesus with prayer. And we ought. Because praying is not just speaking to Jesus, it is also hearing from Him. And if we're not praying, we cannot be listening. And we, of course, always couple prayer with fasting. Not that every time we pray we must be fasting. But prayer and fasting are ways that we get in touch with the heart of God, where we slow ourselves down, where we stop all other things, and we listen. And sometimes we speak too much and listen too little when we pray. Even in fasting, sometimes we use fasting as as a, a sort of spiritual diet. We can maybe lose some weight and we don't ever actually get to the listening to God part. Prayer and fasting are important ways to hear the voice of Jesus. But so is reading and studying the scriptures. This is His Word. This is what He has to say to us. This is what He has revealed of Himself to the church. And apart from the Scriptures, we cannot hear the voice of Jesus. And it will do us no good to ignore the Gospels and what Jesus actually said. 
some of the kids were really excited the last few weeks because they've been getting new Bibles for Christmas and, and since, and they've been comparing which ones have the red letter edition, and I've got, I've got Jesus' words in red. It'll do us no good to ignore those red letters. Sometimes we ignore them because those red letters can get kind of harsh. Man, Jesus quit meddling here. But it'll also do us no good if we just ignore all of the rest of scriptures and just say all I need are the gospels. We need the whole word of God, his whole testimony concerning himself. And we need to be students of it so that we might hear his voice. And the fact is, we need what we have here on Sunday mornings. It is infinitely hard to hear the voice of Jesus if you cut yourself off from Christian brothers and sisters in the context of worshiping together and fellowship. And there are all sorts of other activities that, that, come, that, that, that come associated with, with what we enjoy on Sunday mornings. Communion. It's not just something we do. It's a way we hear the voice of Jesus. Specifically in hearing the words, take and eat, take and drink. Accountability. It comes out of fellowship. It comes out of being a part of the body of Christ. A part of the local expression of that body. And if we do not make ourselves vulnerable to one another in the, in the context of the local church, it is infinitely hard to hear the voice of Jesus. Sometimes we find ourselves... Realizing, man, I, I've been following the loudest voice and that wasn't Jesus. I started out well and where am I now? It's harder to get to that point in life where suddenly we don't know where we're going. We don't know how we've gotten where we've come. It's harder to, 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 to find ourselves there when we when we when we yield ourselves in fellowship to other believers. And we hear the voice of Jesus in something that we often forget that He can speak through. We hear His voice in acts of ministry, particularly acts of mercy. When we give of ourselves to someone else, we have a unique opportunity that we find nowhere else to hear Jesus' voice. In fact, Jesus told His disciples and He told the multitudes, when you give someone who is thirsty a cup of water, you're giving Me a cup of water. When you give someone who is hungry food to eat, you're giving Me food to eat. When you visit someone in prison, you're visiting me.
compassion, and charity. The lives of others. That's where Jesus is typically leading us. The Pharisees saw Jesus and his disciples sitting in a house that was filled with tax collectors and sinners. And they said, what in the world? What kind of rabbi is this? That these are the type of people he hangs out with. That these are the type of people he's going to spend his time with. Shame on him. He ought to be spending time with more righteous people. He ought to be spending time with more, more upstanding citizens. Not with these losers. Not with these outcasts. Don't you know what that type of person does? And Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. And then he gives them a little puzzle. That's one of the cool things about Jesus in the Gospels. He's often, he likes to, as, as, uh, as Neil Bortz always said, he likes to stir the pudding. Oh yeah, well, you go and figure out what it means that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. He came not to call those who think they have life all put together. Because those who are convinced that they have life all put together, they won't hear His voice. They'll be offended by His confronting them. And so the call of Jesus and the confrontation of Jesus will ring hollow. To those who think they have no need of change. The question that confronts us this morning is will we leave what we're otherwise doing and follow him when he confronts us and calls us to follow? Because sometimes when Jesus confronts us and calls us, it's not because, oh, what we're doing is so bad. It's he's got something so much better for us. Because when he confronts us, it's always for our good and it's always life-giving. And so when we see him coming along, and when we hear that voice that sometimes is hard to hear, our response ought not be, oh my. Our response ought to be, how high? How high, Lord? You just tell me where. You just tell me when. And I'll follow. Let's pray.
Father, we come this morning.